Sermon is short and our message is deep, so open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. You guys ready to get in the Word today? Come on. Genesis chapter 3. Get out your phones. Get out your nearly in, infallible, uh, the NIVs. Get out your papers and all that kind of stuff. We're going to start reading Genesis chapter 3. And it's not going to sound like the teaching is about prayer tonight for the first little bit, but there's a reason for that. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Satan says this, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, let me, let me just stop for a second. Look right here. God has made very clear in his word what is good and what is evil. You see that? What is right and what is wrong. Do we see that? Everybody say amen. So there, there isn't like a big mystery. I mean, I understand some things are a little bit hard to understand because the Bible doesn't directly address your situation. The Bible talks about a man taking a wife, but he, the Bible doesn't tell you which wife to take. You've got to make some decisions on your own. The Bible talks about being fruitful and multiplying, but is it multiplying, you know, is 12 the right number of children? Now that I'm a grandparent, my answer would be yes. I think at least 12 is probably the right answer. But when I was a parent, no. Two was a handful, and, and I only had two hands, right? So God's made it clear what's good and evil, but there's a temptation that we're going to have to wrestle with maybe a little bit tonight, and it's that one. There's a, there's a good and evil that we'd like to decide, there's, there's a right and wrong that we would like to have preeminence in. We would like to make a judgment at times. There's a temptation in my life, there's probably a temptation in yours, that when I see something God has clearly dictated, clearly commanded, but I don't understand it, I don't know why I should. I, I, don't, I don't really want to obey it. It's going to cause a crucifixion in my own life. I, it's easier for me to come to God and say, but if I were God, how many of you guys know that that's the first part of a really bad sentence? You know, if I were you, if, if I was in charge, if I'd have written the Bible, well, I, I'm not, and I didn't. And so what I'm forced to do is, is really the temptation back to the garden. I feel like sometimes, whether it's a serpent or it's a temptation of my own flesh, is, you know what? It seems like there's a better way to do this than what God has said. There's a justice that would be better than mercy. There, there's a truce that could be brokered better if we just killed some people. And the Michigan State fan laughed. Thank you for that. Good, right? So we've got to understand, and please hear my heart on this tonight. We have to understand that our greater assignment is to obey what God has decreed, not to understand why he decreed it. We are to be like God, but not when it comes to deciding what's good and what's evil. What is good, what is evil, has been decreed. It has been decided. You say, well, what does that have to you know, do with prayer? I thought this was a series on prayer. It's because we're going to get to verses 12, 14, and 15 in the book of, of Matthew, chapter 6 tonight. And, and it's not at all uncommon when I'm put into a counseling situation, uh, which is frequent, that the most common problem that we're dealing with is not the problem that's in front of us. It's the problem that's been caused that's in front of us by something that happened a long time ago that has not yet been resolved. And I, and I want you to please hear my heart. Because if you miss my heart, what I'm about to say could offend you. And that's not my intention. Jesus did not redeem us so that we could maintain a victim mentality. But we will be at times victims. So what do we do when someone walks up to us and punches us in the face? 
What do we do with injustice? What do we do with theft and lying and, and manipulation? What do we do when people hurt us? How do we stay in relationship with people when people are the most dangerous thing on the planet? Listen, when God wants to encourage me, he sends me people. And when the devil wants to destroy me, he sends me people. How, what, do you, what do you do with that? When the one con- container contains salt water that'll kill you and fresh water that'll refresh you. So the, the challenge tonight in understanding what Jesus means when he says forgiveness and the standard to which we are to forgive, it's very simple to try to find in our own mind this, this thing that happened in the garden a long time ago. I, I get what you're saying, but, but I, and I'm just not there yet. I get what you're saying, but if I were you, I get what you're saying, but I don't get what you're saying. I, I don't want to do it the way you told me to do it. What I want to do is the way that I want to do it. And can we understand that from the very first sin, doing it our way has not been very good. Doing it God's way has been extraordinarily difficult, but it's not complicated. So tonight we're going to look at this. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. It says this, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now, the word debt kind of makes us think about money. Maybe it applies to that, but a much deeper meaning of the word debt or trespass or sin is that something, was, there was a clear boundary. There's a sign right here that says, do not trespass, and someone walked past that, and in doing so, transgressed the rules of relationship. They hurt you, they offended you, they frightened you, they used you. In whatever way, their actions harmed you. There was a sign that God said, do not do that, and they crossed right over it. And he says this, I'm asking you to forgive me. Now, remember, understand this. Most of the time when Jesus is praying and we see him praying, it's throughout the day, but we know that early in the morning Jesus prayed. And I want to I just throw this out there, and if it sticks, great. If it doesn't. But I think when Jesus is teaching us to pray, I think he's teaching us to pray this way every morning. That's my own personal conviction. That's the King Jim version of this teaching. But I don't think this is something I pray at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or just before I go to bed. I think there's nothing wrong with that. But these words prepare my heart for a day that's on its way. And if I have pre-decided, regardless of what mankind does to me today, my reaction, my response, the fruit of my lips and my life is going to be the same mercy I have received from the Holy Spirit, the same mercy I received from Jesus, the same mercy that's displayed on the cross. I am supposed to die today if that's what it requires to bring unity back into the room. I'm supposed to give of myself. So when we make that decision, give us this day our daily bread. We're talking about bread that we haven't eaten yet, but it's on its way. You know, hallowed be your name, my Father in heaven. All these things Jesus already taught us. Now he's saying, forgive us our debts. Today, as I wake up in the morning, as that sun comes up, as I'm getting ready to walk out into the marketplace, as I'm getting ready to wake up my teenage children, as I'm getting ready to stand behind a donkey that likes to kick, as I'm getting ready to go through my life, forgive me as I forgive others is what's commanded. Now, there's a lot of radical teaching (laughs) in the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you get that, maybe you don't, because we've prayed it over and over and over again since we were little kids. If you're Catholic, you've prayed it thousands of times. If you're Protestant, you've heard it thousands of times. But this, this teaching on prayer, you gotta understand, when, when they say Jesus teaches how to pray and he starts the prayer with calling Almighty God Papa, that's a radical teaching. When, when he talks about daily bread, that's a radical teaching. By the way, it's still a radical teaching. Radical obedience, radical faith to trust God in the morning when you're hungry that bread is on its way because God's hand is feeding you. We talk about uh, his kingdom coming to earth, not being so good we get to go to heaven, but him being so good he'll send heaven to us. That is radical teaching. But hear me, and I want you to notice this, Jesus doesn't come back to any of the teaching on the Lord's prayer. He doesn't come back to a single verse. It's all Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, will be done, daily bread. This is the only part he comes back to. And he comes back to this. This is what he says. For if we forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your sins. Look at the rest. 
But if we do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. People talk about the unforgivable sin. I don't know why Christians are obsessed with that, but what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and how do we do it and have I done it? And you know, there was a preacher at the children's camp and he talked about it and I've been scared about it ever since. I don't know what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is technically. I don't know what it is legally. I don't know. I have my own theories, my own theriology on it. But this one's pretty clear. Acting in unforgiveness is unforgivable. Do you see that or no? So that, that's, I'm not, I'm not misdiscerning this, I don't think. I think this is reality. Jesus explains why this is such a grave sin, and he does this in Matthew chapter 18. Now, I'm going to read uh, how many? I'm going to read uh, 15 verses in a row. The intention span of the average American when someone's speaking is about four verses. Are you guys ready to get deep in the Word of God tonight? This is a Bible study tonight because we have to have the Word behind this. It was just me making points and telling stories and the panel in the background. Like, that's cool and all, but we don't even know this is what Jesus said. He didn't say it once. It's not being misunderstood. This is the clear and repeated teachings of our Lord and Savior. He says this in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me on social media? And he says, up to seven times? How many guys know that wouldn't make it like one page? Just throwing that out there, all right? Shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answers, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77, or actually the, the, the wording is hard to understand, but it's seven times 70. So maybe it's not 77, maybe it's 490 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. I want to tell you what the kingdom of heaven is really like, guys. It's like a king. And he wanted to settle accounts. He'd given some of his assets to his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. I looked it up. 750,000 pounds of gold. Current street value? I don't know. I'd have to take my shoes off. I, I have no idea. how. It's a lot, though, right? 750,000. What's, what's, what's the price of an ounce of gold today? Anybody know? You're an investment. What, what is it? What is it? $2,000 per ounce? I should have invested that a long time ago, huh? All right. So 2016 ounces per pound, 750,000 pounds. That's more than $12, right? And he says, okay, you owe that to me. Let's settle the account. And, uh, and, and he was brought to him, but since this guy wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this is the culture. I entrust as the, the master, if you will, to servants. The, the word there is slave. Remember, slavery is not an American thing that started 400 years ago. This has been around since just after the Garden of Eden. They, they were a conquered people. They became their slaves. If they were smart and wise, you know, a Nebuchadnezzar or a Pharaoh could choose a Daniel or a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to steward their property. And he gave them somewhere during the course of time 750,000 pounds of gold and said, invest it. And I came back and he said, okay, I want to settle that. I want to, like, what's, what's, how much have you made off my 750,000 pounds? He came back and said, it's all gone. So in those days, if you blew it, how many of you guys know there's blowing it and then there's 750,000 pounds of gold blowing it. Do you think Jesus is exaggerating for some reason? Do you think he's making this debt so incredibly huge that comparing it to anything else is going to look puny? So he says this. He says, okay, but then, then if you can't pay me back, then they had something called debtor's prison. 
and you'll all be sold. The asset that you are to me, I'm liquidating. It's a, it's a fire sale, and your last name's Fire, so go away, and I'll, I'll recoup a little bit, but you're not a good servant. You've done bad things with my resources, and you and I are done. And so this is what he does, and uh, he, he says this. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Can I ask you a question? How long would it take you to earn 750,000 pounds of gold, starting with zero, if you're so bad at investing that you lost it all to begin with? Anybody, come on. This is about 10,000 lifetimes. You do that, the daily wage, being a drachma and a shekel and all that kind of stuff. This is about 10,000 lifetimes of labor. Hey, if you'll just give me a couple of days. I mean, his excuse is non-existent, and his reasoning is ludicrous. And the master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. His wife, his kids. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, not 10,000 lifetimes, about a month and a half of wages. And he grabbed this guy who owes him about 45 days of pay, and he began to choke him. (laughs) Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees, and he begged him. Does that sound familiar? Have we seen that same posture in that same language? Begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, does this guy have a chance to pay it back? He could probably go to mom and dad and write a check and get out the visa or the monster card or whatever, right? And he could probably have him paid by the end of the week. Pay back what you owe. And, 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 and he's, he said, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, look at this. When the other servants saw what had happened, how many of you know someone's always going to tattle to dad? As the youngest child in my family, I promise you that was my mission in life. And so it is in the family of God. They were outraged, and they went and they told their daddy, they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours. Look how shocked he is. Because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now look at this last verse. This is crazy, but in anger. Now who is the master? This is a parable, but who is the master in real life? It's God. And who is the servant? It's kind of us, depending on which side of the story we're on, right? In anger, God handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which is never going to happen. It's an eternal damnation. And this is what he says. This is the last verse. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How you doing? Wow. Isn't it weird that sometimes God kind of deals with sins like, hey, avoid this. Have nothing to do with that. This one's like, no. No, no, no. This is fire. This is poison. Like, not, not a smidge. From your heart. You need to get rid of all bitterness, malice, rage, anger. You, you need to stop blaming everybody. You need to stop being hurt. You need to get past. Did they do something to you? Yes. Was it wrong? Absolutely. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but stopping in that point of hurt and making it your consistent reality is fabulously dangerous to your soul today and to your spirit for eternity. So here's some thoughts to consider. You ready? We're going to hurt and offend and disappoint each other intentionally and unintentionally. It just depends on whether or not there's a steering wheel in front of us. We're also going to be hurt, offended, and disappointed by others intentionally and unintentionally. Now hear me. Without mercy, everything God has for you that can only be realized in relationships with others is completely cut off. 
without mercy, without a reset button, without a time machine, without you giving away what you've received. Everything God has for you that's hidden in other people, it's gone. You'll have no access to it. Isn't it strange that God hid heaven inside of other people for us? Mercy is the reset button. It's the time machine. Mercy is the only way anything or anyone can get back on track with God and man. Mercy, that's it. That's it. And, and what's interesting is you can't earn it. You, you, can't, you can earn trust over time, but you can't earn mercy. It's a gift or it doesn't exist. It's given by the one who has the right, in some ways, to not give it. They decide to give it. They act for the highest good of others without, without concern for reciprocation. Remember we talked about love being the costly, committed, consistent choice to treat someone else for their highest good regardless of reciprocation, regardless of whether or not they love you back? That's what this is. It's costly, consistent, and committed. Listen, guys, without mercy, any, every offense is enough to prevent the kingdom from coming and God's will being done. I could just, I could just do a mic drop. Let's, let's just look at that for a second. Without you exercising forgiveness that cost you, by the way, without mercy, any offense is enough to prevent the kingdom from coming and God's will being done. The number one inhibitor to the kingdom of God coming, in my opinion, is not unbelief. It's unmerciful. It's that once we're hurt, once we're offended. You ever, and please don't, is, are we recording this for another time? Darn. Then let me say it carefully then. Why do you think there's so many denominations? Why do you think there's so many churches in one small town? Why do you think so many people pointed a building they used to go to, but then they left with a group of people to start another thing that left with a, to start another? I mean, I guess you could say that maybe it's the Holy Spirit and that's the way we evangelize. You could say God's done things here and that continues on and God did things here and we value that and it continues on and God did that. But, but I, I'm here to tell you from personal experience, a lot of what it is is we got hurt somewhere along the line and we went that way. What would it take to bring the body of Christ together in Fenton? Who, whose heart would have to change? Not whose schedule would have to be freed up. Whose heart would have to change? for us just to get together, break bread, and worship one true God. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, guys, without mercy, we can never love God. We can never love others. We can never be in unity or make disciples. Without mercy, the serpent stinking wins. And I don't know about you. I don't mind being a gracious winner, but I am a terrible loser. I don't even like team sports. I get mad at everybody on my team. I like racquetball because if I lose, it's the other guy's fault. But volleyball, I hate it. Because if someone misses the dig or someone misses the, the spike or someone, you know, just didn't show up or someone didn't rotate, or, it just drives me nuts. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful that I lead the congregation that you guys are worshiping in right now? Isn't that just a wonderful thing to confess? But I like racquetball because when I smack it in the corner and the guy dies for it and he busts his lip open, it just feels good. I like boxing. I don't like being hit, but I like the thought of boxing. I like wrestling. I like you know, I don't like being tied in a knot. I don't like wrestling with Pastor Jason, but I like wrestling because he cheats. He knows some sort of Asian stuff. What was it? Jiu-jitsu? Is that what you call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's how he can take my body weight and hurt me with my own fist. That's not right. That, that should be illegal, right? 
But let, let's not be confused about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So let's be clear. Forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't even mean it wasn't wrong. Does that make sense? How, and maybe not a show of hands, but how many of you guys understand people have done things to you they never should have done? They've said things to you they never should have said. They've acted in a way towards you they never should have acted. I want you to know that by you forgiving them, it does not justify sin. It erases it. It forgives it. It releases you. I heard the best example of unforgiveness I've ever heard was it's like drinking poison and then expecting your enemy to die. I'm telling you as a pastor, I'm telling you as a friend, as a brother, as a counselor, I, I am telling you, I have seen people's entire lives ruined by single incidents. And here's, that's a tragedy, but here's another injustice on top of that. The person that did that to them went on with their life and never thought twice about them again. That single act of their selfishness, victimizing another person, is not even a blip on their radar. I, I was a part of a situation where a, um, a person in authority had hurt, had molested children. And many years later, it came out, and the statute of limitations was not in force. And so this person came out, and people that were involved in, in his life as they were children are now young adults, and they're coming forward. And one of them came forward to testify and saw him across kind of the waiting, the lobby area, as they're waiting for you know, one case to be dismissed so they could walk into the and have their turn. And she got up her courage to walk over to him and confront him face to face. And as she walked up to him, she said, Hello. And he looked at her, and not realizing what was going on, he thought that she was flirting with him and began to flirt back. He didn't even recognize her. But because of what he'd done to her as a child, she'd never been in a trusting relationship. She'd never married. Anytime anything felt like, smelled like, acted like, anything that was dangerous, she backed off completely. She was alone. She was isolated. She was in pain every day of her life. And he went on with his life. It's like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. Do you hear what I'm saying? Guys, I, I understand the pain. I really do. I, I'm a pastor. All I do is God and people, so all I've been done by is people, right? I, I totally get how betrayal and broken trust, and I get all of that. I really do. It, from shocking places and shocking people, I get that. But I want you to hear me. If I will stop at any offense and build a summer home there and visit it from time to time, what is started as unforgiveness or offense becomes a root of bitterness. And you don't just move away from those things. They, they, a root, it's something that's in you. It's when you're driving down the road and there's no other noise, the songs are on, your mind starts to go to that place where you begin to fantasize about that confrontation and you say the meanest thing, but because you're really talking not to yourself, you're talking to the devil. He knows exactly what to say, and it gets getting worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. You're in the shower, and it's just that gray noise, and you're not thinking about much, and then that conversation comes, and it's just, you know, or someone reminds you of that person, so you're not going to be close to that person. You're not going to trust that person. How many of you guys know we make people pay for the sins of their predecessors all the time? Unless we forgive the sins of their predecessors, and we miss out on things. So what does forgiveness mean? Forgiveness means it keeps no record of wrongs. It means as God has treated you, now you choose to treat others. And let me just say this. Are you guys okay? I didn't expect it to be like a rowdy amen night. I really don't. But I, I just, every once in a while, I got to check in and make sure that you're okay. Um, you're never going to be more like Jesus. How many of you want to be like Jesus? You're never going to be more like Jesus than when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Piano person, girl, join me tonight. 
I used to say piano girl, and then Kyle would always come up, and it was embarrassing for him. And the last thing I'd ever want to do is to embarrass Pastor Kyle. I, I just, it hurts me to think about embarrassing him. Yeah. And I hear people say this all the time. So if, if I forgive them, they just get away with it? Can I introduce you to the thought of not man's justice, but God's justice for a second? Romans 12, 19 says, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. My dear friends, please don't take revenge. But leave room for God's wrath. How many of you guys know God's better at spanking people than we are? And he said, you've got to leave room for that. If you, if you do what I do, then, then it didn't leave room for what I do. How many of you guys know I want mercy to win? I want my forgiveness to set the one who put me in bondage free. I, I want the one that nailed me to the cross to be forgiven. I want all these analogies that none of them have had. No one's ever crucified me. You understand what I'm saying? I want them to be free, but I want you to understand this. If they don't take that opportunity, God is gracious enough to teach them through other means. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, we don't have the right to choose what's good and evil sometimes. We just need to forgive what's been evil. And does that mean they get away with it? Nope, because life isn't fair. But God is just. And if our mercy doesn't have the desired effect of repentance, then God's judgment will lead them to a place where they wish they had. Let me just say this, okay, as we close. How many guys know the girl plays the piano? It's time to land the plane. Ralph Wiegand is my biological dad. He was my biological dad. He died a couple of years ago. And I don't, is everybody's father relationship complicated or is it, was it just me? Everybody, it's just complicated. You want his blessing, but he didn't have it to give and it just hurt. He just, it just hurt to be around him. We didn't, we didn't care for one another, which doesn't help. He was um, consistently in his atheism trying to get me to see life his way, very disappointed that I'd become a pastor. I mean, it's kind of like a, a pastor's son becoming an atheist, no less an, an atheist son becoming a pastor. It was a betrayal of everything he taught me. Um, I, didn't, I didn't inherit his pain. I didn't inherit his doubt. I inherited the gift of God, which was my salvation. And I, I didn't deny it. I didn't want to deny it. And I would talk to him as a father talks to his son about his own soul. And he would be so hurt and offended. It would just be kind of, I don't, I don't know what else to compare it to other than an atheist and a believer who are father and son. It was deeper than theology. It was personal. Does that make sense? And he, if he got alone with my kids, he would say, you know, there's a freedom of religion in this country. And they'd say, yeah, Grandpa, we, we know. Said, you know, that, I exercise my freedom of religion by having no religion. What about you? Have you really taken a good look? I mean, he would try to talk my children out of their faith. Young ages. Like, you just don't sit on Santa's lap. You know what I mean? That was my dad. And then something terrible happened. Um, about 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, that's terrible. We all agree, right? But this is what happened. He started forgetting what had happened to him. He went beyond the people that offended him in the last five years, the disappointments of his son's decision to become a pastor. They went beyond, you know, the naming of the kids, the wrong names, the not choosing to be an engineer for Ford Motor Company, as is our family's tradition in one generation financial sacrifices that are unnecessary. You're a smart young man. Why are you giving your life to a, a, a Hebrew fairy tale and a group of deceived people? Little things like that that don't warm you up very well to your dad. But he got behind that. 
And, he got, and then he got to the place where he didn't know who I was. He remembered some things that had happened in his marriage that had fallen apart. But when the memories regressed beyond that, I saw a change in my dad. And then it went farther. It went back to the death of his father and how he blamed his mother for all of that and he hated his mother. There's a, a beautiful uh, professional portrait of my grandmother, Grandma Wiegand. I never met her. She died before I was born. It's been in a box for 50 years. Now, more than that, since before I was born and I'm 54, so close to 60 years. It's in my basement. I have Grandma in a box. It's a weird story, but it's, it's, it's a true story, you know. And when he got behind that, there was an instantaneous change. You guys hear me. Ralph Wiegand became one of the kindest, sweetest, gentlest men you've ever met in your life. I learned to love my dad in the last two years of his life. He didn't forgive me, but he forgot me. And he forgot my mom. And he forgot his mom. And he forgot the bully in third grade. And he forgot the teacher that gave him a C minus when it should have been a B plus. And he forgot the IRS. Oh, Lord, may we all forget the IRS someday. I have never seen a more powerful depiction of what we're talking about tonight than my dad forgiving through no memory of it, not holding anybody's sins against him. When he died, I was able to be a part of the, the service for him. And everybody came out, all these sweet old gals, they're all like 90, 43 years old, you know, 133 years old. And they'd, they'd come up as fast as they could. And they looked me straight in the belly button. And said, your dad was one of the kindest men I've ever met in my life. And I'm like, my dad was? <laughs> your dad was so kind. He was so sweet. He was so funny. He had such a great sense of humor. I'm like, my dad had a great sense? My dad, if my dad smiled, his face would crack into four pieces. Your dad was such a great, your dad, we talk about Gunsmoke, and we talk about Bonanza, and we talk all the shows that he watched when, you know, I guess before I was born, right? And I'm trying to say this to you, hear me. What if my dad would have forgiven every offense as it happened? What if Alzheimer's hadn't stolen his memories? What if mercy would have stolen the pain of his memories, and he'd have just lived free? May your brains function beautifully, perfectly, and properly until the Lord calls you home. And may your souls experience the depths of Alzheimer's where you choose not to hold the sins of others against them, but you can be free, where you can know joy, where you can look people right in the belly button and say, that is the kindest person I've ever met in my life. May God set you free. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. It's weird. we got to dismiss a certain way at a certain time. But would you just close your eyes for a moment? Because I... I don't know who knows this. I don't know who lives this. I don't know who this is a revelation to. I don't know who could have preached this message better than me tonight. I don't know. But I know this. If someone in your life, something caused you to, to be hurt and now you're afraid, now you get angry and if this happens again, now it's, you know, that I'll never be a victim again. I'll never, and I, I get that. I don't want to be a victim either. I'm not talking about let's all go be victims. I am saying this though. Until we learn to forgive, we cannot be free regardless of anything else that happens around us in this world. The first step, the first progress, your first call, the first move is to forgive. I used to say this when I was in Master's Commission back in the 80s. First one to the cross wins. First one to get nailed. First one to say, not my will but yours. First one that, that chooses mercy wins.
God, tonight, I ask that we'd all get to the cross and win. Because on that cross, 750,000 pounds of gold was forgiven. And I think what you're saying is what was forgiven cost a lot more than it cost us to forgive. Hanging beaten and naked in front of your mother, Jesus, in front of your best friend, as they were powerless to do anything, watching the pain in Mary's eyes as you bled out on that cross, pulling up on crushed nerves in your wrists and your feet, reopening gaping wounds in your back. You, you drew enough breath to say, Father, forgive them to those who crucified you, for they know not what they do. We will never be more like Jesus than when we forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. So God, I pray. Listen, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If there's something somewhere, you're drinking poison, expecting your enemy to die. If you're not free, then tonight, I'm not talking about trust. Trust takes time. Forgiveness doesn't take any time at all. It takes a decision. I'm not suggesting you trust people that have hurt you. I'm not. They got to earn it just like they did the first time. It takes a little longer to earn it the second time. I'm talking about mercy. Mercy's never earned. It's always a gift. Trust is always earned. Mercy's never earned. If you're here tonight, and you've confused those things. Be free. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I need to forgive. If I'm going to be forgiven, I must forgive. Don't choose another way. Don't figure out how to make good and evil what you say it is. It has been said, and it is true. Forgive. Choose mercy or choose no mercy. But those are the only two choices. Today, tonight, you say, I choose mercy. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I choose mercy. I choose it. I choose you, and you're merciful, and I choose the mercy of God. I want it. I need it every day, so I'm going to give it every day. No one owes me a thing. No one owes me a thing. I release. I forgive. I am free. You are my God. You are just. I will see justice either through mercy or judgment, but I do not need to sit on any throne and decree from earth what only heaven should say. I forgive and I release. And they are free. And as I release them, I feel it in my heart right now. I am free. I am free. And I thank you, God. I thank you for breaking the bread of your body. I thank you for spilling the wine of your blood for those who hunger and thirst for justice through mercy. Have your way now. Maybe we need to go sit in our car for a while, God, just cry. Maybe we need to go kick a tree. Maybe we need to go buy a parakeet. But whatever it is, we are not going to walk out of here and ignore. We will respond. And tomorrow morning we wake up, we will say things like our Father in heaven and daily bread and kingdom come. But we will also say, forgive us. We choose mercy. And therefore, we choose the mandate of being merciful. We will stop the insanity. We will stop the progress of offense. We will stop the victimization through mercy. We will change the world just by being changed by you. Countercultural. The most countercultural thing we can do is be loving right now. The most countercultural thing we can do is forgive our enemies. 
and pray for those who persecute us. The most countercultural thing we can do. You want to protest something? Man, let's protest sin. Let's walk in righteousness. God, I know, I know, I know. There's injustice. I know there's times to speak and vote and, and, and even march. But God, in our hearts tonight, we are still, and we know that you are God, and we choose your ways. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.